When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind our beautiful game. Um, and when I say follows the money, it says goodbye to it at the moment, unfortunately. I'm Kevin Day uh, and over there, I'm, only I can see him, which is a, it's a real existential dilemma. I keep forgetting that when you listen to this, all you can do is listen and I, I can see him. So he's, there's a lot of elaborate book um, reorganising he does just for my benefit. Hello, Kieran, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Kevin. Yes, it's Good. a sunny day. Walk the dog, so that's my duties for the day done. Mm-hmm. It seems like uh, we seem to be doing this every day. Somehow, I seem to spend every day in the, uh, an office somewhere talking to you about something. But never mind, here we are, and we've got um, it's it's our Thursday pod, so it's it's the the big one, the non questions one. Although we've all got time on our hands, so the question one is getting longer and longer on Mondays. It but is. T- today's the one <clears throat> we've got a lot of issues to deal with. Um, and I mean a lot of issues. And coming up, um, we have the row over who has and who hasn't taken a pay cut at Arsenal. Barcelona's valiant effort, I think, to combat Corona. And it says here, and I've been busy this morning with, with family stuff, as you know, Kieran. Uh, and I, this is the first time I've read this script and I'm, I'm not happy to read it. It says, an astonishing claim for Crystal Palace. It wasn't me. Uh, I didn't I, write that, I, Kevin. An astonishing... Well, I should be having words with Guy, the producer, about this... Well, I think it's a perfectly normal claim about Crystal Palace, but that's coming up. Um, look, first, just now, just before we're recording this on a, um, a Wednesday afternoon, I'm, I'm sorry to let a little bit of showbiz magic out for you there, people. We're not actually live as it happens, mainly because of Kieran's uh, TV and dog walking schedule commitments. Um, but just before we start recording this on Wednesday, Kieran, um, and I don't think this was necessarily predicted by anybody, but National League clubs have now voted to end. The season now. I'm guessing that National League. It's the same as the the EFL and the Premier League. This is a vote amongst the clubs themselves, is it? That's right. Ultimately, the National League is a members' club, and that uh, they've decided to curtail activities. What's not coming clear, however, is the impact upon promotion and relegation. Um, so uh, until that dust uh, it settles, um, we don't know who are the winners and losers out of this. Uh, you know, clearly there'll be clubs like Barrow who were hoping to go up. Um, th- there is clearly a gap in League Two because there's only 91 clubs presently in the, yeah. in the top four divisions. Um, so what will happen in terms of playoffs and so on um, is uh, is up for grabs. Uh, Barrow are the first club to break ranks and say they're not happy with this, so which implies that clearly they voted against it. Is is this a decision they would have made in conjunction with League Two in the EFL? Because obviously, as you say, it does it does impact on the number of clubs that will be in the EFL next season. 
Um, I, I presume that there must have been some form of communication that, that the vote was going to take place out, out of professional courtesy. Uh, what we are seeing in the National League is that the, 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 the maintenance costs, the day-to-day running costs of the clubs yeah. are yeah, they, they're significant. And if you can effectively put those National League clubs into some form of hibernation over the course of the next few months, then then that's going to increase the chances of them surviving. Uh, I think with Rill going, uh, Rill effectively yeah. being wound up last night because they couldn't pay the rent, that's really acted as a shock to the system and that might have accelerated this vote. We'll talk about Rill a little more in a moment. But just in terms of players' contracts, which we've been talking a lot about on this pod recently and we'll, we'll be doing later on in terms of some Arsenal players, are all the players now in the NFL, NFL in the National League? I beg your pardon. Are they essentially laid off now? I mean, and is part of the plan that if football is able to come back around August, September, that they'll be ready to go quicker than maybe the EFL and the National Leagues and the League One, League Two, who are still fulfilling the fixtures from this season? Well, although that the leagues have committed to stop playing football, they still have a legal obligation because players have signed contracts. So, right. so those contracts will expire uh, you know, either the, you know, the, the 30th of April or the 31st of May. I think when, when we spoke to Lee Worgan, um, he sort of inferred that National League contracts tended to finish earlier than those in the higher leagues because of, they tended to, to finish uh, the football activities that much quicker as well. So I think what we will see is there'll be a lot of players over the summer literally sitting around sort of keeping themselves fit because they'll be going for trials presumably when some form of pre-season starts with a view to being able to sign up for clubs for next season so these are players at any of these clubs at a level where for example they can claim universal credit now uh, potentially, yes. I mean, I think the majority of the clubs, if not all of them, will have been furloughing the players given the, the pay scales that they're on. Um, and they will be looking at or they'll be talking to their, their agents and their advisors. If they've got contracts which are being paid up till the end of April, they wouldn't be able to claim universal credit, presumably until the contract expiry date. Uh, and for those of our listeners who may be new to the pod, where have you been? Remind them who Lee is that you just mentioned earlier. Well, Lee Worgan is the Dover Athletic goalkeeper. Um, he came on the show a few weeks ago and, and he was extremely articulate and, and presented the case for non-league football uh, very well. Uh, you know, he, he's in the position, you know, he's he's played over 600 games himself. He's he's 36 years old. You know, he's he's at that sort of transition phase of his career. But, you know, he he, was, he felt that he could probably continue uh, next season as well. So, yeah, he, he'll he be uh, uncertain as to his future. Now, you mentioned Real. Tell us a little bit more about Real. They're, they're one of those clubs where, a little bit like Wrexham, where it must get so frustrated from when the vast majority of people in that part of North Wales on a Saturday head off to Liverpool or Everton to watch their... Their football. So this is real as a club, I presume, that's always struggled to attract attention. And now they've they've gone bust. So was this unexpected? Is it, you know, as people have said, it could lead to a domino effect? Is that a fear? I, I think uh, it's it's no surprise that a club has gone to the wall, uh, and you could have picked one of you know one of many. Um, they, they had a twenty four thousand pound rent bill that the landlord wasn't prepared to negotiate a discount, and, and they simply didn't have the money to pay it. So eff- effectively, they're being turfed out because they they can't they can't play um, at at the stadium anymore, and, and there is no future. So that they've 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 wound themselves up. 
And it is sad because it doesn't matter how big or how small the town is, mm. it, it's still part of your local identity. And you enter the FA Cup each year and you're never quite sure how you're going to get. And you know, people can get excited when you make progress or even progress through, through the, the, the non-league pyramid itself. So you know, a, a little bit of, of the, you know, that part of North Wales isn't going to exist anymore. Uh, yeah, this is a perennial theme on this show. I know, I know football, as we have to remind ourselves, old romantics we are, football, of course, is a business like any other business, and it, it's subject to the vagaries of the economic upturns and downturns. But for the sake of £26,000 to lose a football club, it doesn't seem a lot, does it, considering the money involved in football? I know there are people who have lost their businesses listening to this for the, for the sake of less money than that, but it, it doesn't seem a lot of money to lose a football club for, is it? it? It's not, but the trouble is, it's just sort of the old Mr. McCorber argument. To them it is, yeah. You know, if, if you haven't, if you haven't, yeah, got, a, yeah. haven't got a farthing, you, you're bankrupt. Um, and the yeah. chances are there will have been other creditors as well who would have been unpaid. So therefore, what would have happened if the landlord, if there'd been some form of crowdfunding scheme or somebody had come, come as a benefactor and paid the landlord, other creditors will say, well, why are you giving them priority over us? I see, I see. Well, the National League has, has stopped, but um, Rick Parry, who's chair of the EFL, has confirmed in quite a vehement manner that the Championship and League One and League Two will take place behind closed doors. Um, my question on that is: at TV, the rumours that there will be the games will be shown live on TV when this happens. They can't show all of them, surely, can they? Uh, well, well, they can. I mean, I th- Rick sent uh, an open letter to all uh, supporters of EFL clubs um, at the back end of uh, or a few days ago. And um, in it, he said that you know the intention was to complete the season. Uh, I, I think that's good for sporting integrity. But it's also good from a legal point of view. Uh, otherwise, there would have been lawsuits flying left, right and centre. Um, and the intention is to get those matches to fans somehow. Now, at present, uh, the EFL have, uh, they have something called the iFollow system, which uh, I think it cost you £45 to sign up for, and that gave you home and away audio commentary of your chosen EFL club, plus you know, some, some sort of TV bits behind the scenes. You know, sometimes you, you're a bit like Chelsea TV or Manchester United TV and so on. The, the take-up on that was, was a bit hit and miss. Not all clubs bought into it, um, yet there were some criticisms, uh, but the, I think some of the larger clubs had something of a similar nature. So the, the EFL does have the the ability and the facilities to get uh, effectively stuff down the pipes. So what what they will be able to do is to stream matches. So those EFL clubs who have season ticket holders, all you have to do is to send your email address or the club will send you to your email address. This is this is the link that you need for for this Saturday's match. Um, and you can watch it. It's not the same as being there as we know. But I, th- yeah, I think we had this discussion that most fans, they just want their clubs to be in existence this time mm-hmm. next year. So, yeah, you'll be a bit frustrated that uh, you're not getting the same experience as being there. But as a next best thing, and, and given that we've now run out of Netflix to watch, um, you know, mm-hmm. there is, you know, I think there will be an appeal for it. Uh, in terms of clubs such as Leeds and West Brom and Forest and those clubs which are, are going for promotion to, uh, to the Premier League, 
Um, what we could see is you know very big audiences for the home matches. So you know Leeds might have had a match scheduled to kick off at three o'clock on a, on a Saturday where they'd normally expect to get their thirty five or thirty six thousand. Well, what they'll be able to do through this is they'll you know they'll be able to double or treble that because they've got a big following. Uh, stuff down the pipes. I wrote that down. That's a technical expression, is it? Stuff down the pipes. Because I I've worked in the TV industry for quite some time. I've I've never said let's send some stuff down the pipes. I've said let's create a TV show for the people at home. But you is just sending stuff down the pipes. Well, it, it's a, it's a, I'm not I'm not very good on technology, as you know. In fact, okay. we're both for quite luddite in that regard. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was struggling for the appropriate words. And as you know, my pronunciation isn't the best, and my uh, my use did. of language isn't the best at times either. You're not very good at technology, but you're very good at being filmed, as we've seen on every media outlet recently. Um, now, you, you may have explained this to me before, but as you know, I'm a bear of small brain when it comes to the finance stuff. The the, the money from this um, stuff down the pipes, showing all the games, this this will be this will go to the EFL and then be distributed evenly, or will the bigger clubs, Leeds, will they get the bigger share? Because more people will be watching. Well, I mean, th- that degree of detail hasn't been uh, has, okay. hasn't been broadcast. Yeah, you know, I, I think what what Rick Perry was trying to do was to reassure fans is that yeah, if you are a season ticket holder, if you are a regular fan, you'll get the opportunity to see your club. The way that the EFL presently distributes money is that eighty percent of it goes to Championship clubs, twelve percent to those in League One, and eight percent it to League Two. So it could be that 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 process will. Will continue, or they, they might wait it to a certain extent that those clubs that are picking up bigger audiences will pick up a slightly bigger slice of, of the pie. And presumably, this is in conjunction with the you know games that will will be on Sky as normal. Some of these behind closed doors will be shown as they would have been on a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon anyway. Will it? Yes, yeah, so I, th- I think the way that it that it will operate is that if Sky were already committed to having these matches taking place at scheduled times, then that, that they will still be broadcast on Sky as per normal. Um, but those fans who don't subscribe to Sky, they'll be able to watch it via the streaming service as an alternative. I mean, psychologically, it'll be wonderful to see football back on the TV screens, even though ideally it'd be at a pub or with mates around the house, but it'll be a step in the right direction. But there are rumours that one or two League Two clubs are not entirely happy about the season continuing. I can't understand why any club wouldn't want some form of football to be returning as soon as possible. Well, I, I think in respect of, of certainly this, this was a, this was a, an article in the Mail a couple of days ago um, where some of the League Two clubs felt that actually the costs of putting on these fixtures would exceed the revenue that they were going to generate and because uh, they are living literally on a, you know, on yeah. a hand-to-mouth existence yeah. at present that actually uh, ending the season as we've seen in the National League as is going to happen in, in the Scottish lower leagues um, and is also happening in Holland you know the, the, the I, I won't even tr- attempt to pronounce it yeah, yeah, the Dutch yeah. the Dutch major league um, you know they they've effectively written off the season as well so you know, if it's happening in sort of medium size you know Premier Leagues in in Europe, you, you can see, therefore, there'll be a similar impact for the lower league clubs here in England. I'm amazed you can't pronounce Dutch words because for some reason I assume you've spent a lot of time in Amsterdam. I don't know why that is. Mate. I have spent an awful lot of time <laughs> oh, in Amsterdam. Um, in fact, I was due to speak to the KNVB um, last week 
um, with regards to sort of helping them with sort of going forwards in in generating money for the Dutch league? Because whilst I find Dutch football and Dutch football culture absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. it's not as lucrative um, as you would expect it to be, apart from the club which qualifies for the Champions League. Just coming back to the League Two clubs then, have they got a point? I mean, even... Yeah, if a club who would normally have two and a half thousand people there have got fifty journalists and coaches and whatever, they still need to lay on stewards and policing and other match day stuff around it. And presumably, evening games would they incur floodlight costs? So, do they have a point? Is it almost as expensive to put a game on behind closed doors? I, I, well, I, I think they will have done their sums. Uh, I think some some clubs would have perhaps liked to have laid staff off totally. Um, in you know, it, it, they might be using the furloughing scheme, but it's still costing them money to do uh to do things like cut the grass. Because if if you if you've got a groundsman, he's got to be he's got to be doing his day job, and, and he can't be furloughed because the nature yeah, of furlough, yeah, of course, yeah, is yeah. is you're putting staff into hibernation, and one of the rules is they can't do any work. Yeah. So therefore, there are still those uh, you know uh, other overheads which are being incurred. And if the clubs feel that you know they are going to be on a knife edge, then you you can see the decisions that they've made, and there could be an element of self interest in this as well, of course, because if you are fourth or fifth bottom yeah, of League yeah. Two, you might be thinking, well, if it's if it's all called off now, then then we're safe. Yeah, of course. Um, into the Premier League then, and what seems to be our endless fascination these days with. Premier League players' wages. I mean, I was always brought up to believe it was impolite to ask about how much anybody was paid to do anything, essentially. But we seem seems to be open season on, on Premier League footballers. Um, Arsenal players and staff, we understand, have voluntarily agreed uh, a 12.5% pay cut, or have they? Because, you yeah, know, the tabloids seem to want to pull the rug for some reason from underneath Arsenal's feet. You know, politicians and journalists who in no way are taking any kind of pay cut whatsoever, seem to think they have every right to comment on whether or not professional footballers are doing the same. Well, um, what appears to be the case in respect of Arsenal is that uh, Mikel Arteta um, was sort of at the forefront of this. Um, and as we know, Arsenal have had a pretty rocky period in the last two or three years. Mm. You know, whilst there will be some people that, that seem to think that everything wrong with the club was connected with Arsene Wenger. Subsequent events have, have suggested that that's not the case. Um, so there, there was talk of this 12.5% um, voluntary agreement between the players, but then it transpired that, that Meza Ozil was unhappy with this particular agreement. Now, he is supposed to be, if not the highest paid player in the Premier League, then then pretty damn close to it. Um, and um, he's he said that he's not willing to go along with uh, with with the proposal um now Meza Ozil does give lots of money to causes which which he feels are closer mm. to his heart um since then we've seen Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher weigh in on the club side of things saying that all the players should take it uh, including Meza Ozil and, and it started to get a little bit personal um you can understand it from the club's point of view uh, in terms of cash flow that there are benefits in the in the players taking a pay cut. But also, when you then go and look at things a little bit further, if Arsenal qualify for the Champions League, that pay cut gets reversed. Mm. 
because the, the 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 rewards of being in the Champions League. Now we don't know whether that's going to be a top four or a top five place because we've got the un, unresolved issue of Manchester City's charges to deal with. Um, you know the, the the rewards of being in the Champions League are in excess of a hundred million a year. And, and as you've pointed out before, and I think it's fair to point out again for. For every pound a footballer doesn't get, it's forty odd pence of that or sixty odd pence of that is something the inland revenue don't get. Is that right? That, that's that's correct. So I mean, if if a if a if a business cannot afford to pay somebody, I think that's one thing, and and you can understand mm. asking people for pay cuts. If that business is being bankrolled by a rich individual, or that, the, or the owner of the business has doubled or trebled his or her money as a result of investing in the club. So, if we take a look at Spurs, for example, you know the value of Spurs is is around about two billion pounds when Joe Lewis and, and Daniel effectively acquired ownership of the club. It was a mere fraction of that. So, what the players will be saying is, "Well, hold on." You know, I'm 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 negotiating with somebody who has made hundreds of millions of pounds out of Arsenal Football Club or Liverpool Football Club or Spurs or whoever it's going to be, and they're asking me to take a pay cut. There, there's been some really good stuff written in in the Athletic uh, recently about those players who never get to first team, and mm. you know, what we do forget is we talk about footballers' wages, you know. 999 out of a thousand kids that go to an academy aren't going to aren't going to step foot and they will have been there for 12 years so whilst the focus is all on the people who are successful actually it's it's a ruthless industry um and partly due to the fact it's it's a it's a an industry which is purely built on merit you know if, if you talk if you look at other if, if you know if i think about the world of finance which which i occasionally dip my toes into um you know, i know people that are employed there because their father's a client you know their uncle mm-hmm. owns sure, a hedge fund sure. and so on uh, and it's not necessarily a meritocracy it's still a pretty ruthless business but it, mm. it, it you're, you're still going to be doing the same job at 40 50 60 average player has as a as a as a lifespan of 8 years since when you mentioned that a club like tottenham is worth 2 billion pounds Ten minutes after we've talked about real going out of business for twenty six thousand pound, I know there's not a link, but there bloody well should be, as far as I'm concerned. Frankly, mm-hmm. um, if we can't agree about Arsenal, we can agree that the Sheffield United have the manager, uh, coaching staff, and playing staff at Sheffield United have have agreed an across the board ten percent pay cut. Yeah, and and, you, and and I know you dislike having good words about you know being supportive of other clubs. Everything I hear about Sheffield United in terms of Chris Wilder just makes me like the guy more yeah, and more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the way he's conducted himself, the way he's, he's brought aside from League One to the Premier League, playing attacking football, keeping to his principles, um, and, and now being prepared to do this uh, you know, in a year which she- Sheffield United are going to have a, a relatively good year financially. But as, as we've established, it's nothing to do with profits. It's all to do with managing cash and, and fair play to them. Because that's, let's face it, they're not going to be on the same level of income uh, as players at Arsenal. Arsenal players are on average £5.8 million a year. Even with a 12.5% pay cut, they're still on over £5 million a year each. Yeah, I, I, I have, for the moment, put a lot of my petty dislikes against other clubs to one side in this crisis, while I acknowledge that they are doing good things, but I will still find comedy reasons not to like every other club in the league. Um, Now, Newcastle United already, this is interesting, because it it only really came up as a subject last week, the Newcastle takeover, but already we're at the 
a fit and proper person stage of the process. Um, and I'm afraid I have to say for what I've learned from you since we started this pod in October, we say for what it's worth, we're at the fit and proper person stage of the process. So where, where do we actually stand and which of the people that you spoke about last week are in now in pole position to take them over? Well, um, my understanding is that uh, contracts have been exchanged. So oh, okay. again, well. it, we, 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 are, we have moved on from our conversation last week and uh, a deposit has been, has been lodged in, in terms of respect of buying the club. So clearly Ashley and uh, PIF, the, the Saudi Arabian Investment Fund, has have come to form a, you know, a, clearly an agreement there. It does look like it's 80% PIF, 10% the Rubin brothers, and the story is is that it's going to be one of the sons of the Rubin brothers who's going to be on the board of directors. And Amanda Staveley, uh, is, is, in my understanding, is going to be the, the eyes and ears of, uh, of PIF, um, and she's going to have a 10% stake as well. So I, I think what they said was that you know, if they had any reservations about getting involved in English football, uh, by, by Amanda Staveley committing to buy 10% of the club herself, she was showing a degree of financial commitment that, um, that, that, that you know, she wouldn't have done if she was purely a broker. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, when you say a deposit has been lodged, it's, uh, is it a fixed deposit? Are the Premier League rules, do they have to, does it have to be 5%, 10% of the value of the club, or is it an amount of money? It, it's merely an amount of money. It's, it's the right. same as when you're buying a house. You're, it, it's actually an agreement between two parties. Um, what we do have at present is, is, the, is the Premier League going through the, the owners and directors test. And then this morning, um, I don't know whether you saw, Richard Keyes decided to wade in um, because the Qatari authorities, they are opposed to this deal um, because what we have is piracy in the, in the Middle East. But be in sports, which is the major broadcaster and has the rights to the Premier League uh, football um, in the Middle East, uh, its TV network it has been pirated by an organisation called Be Out. And that is allegedly based in Saudi Arabia. Uh, now, if, you, if you're familiar with the geopolitics of the Middle East, um, Saudi Arabia and Qatar uh, don't like each other. They've been having this Cold War running now for a couple of years. The last time I, I was in Qatar, um, I, I was doing some teaching there. You know, things were getting a little bit tasty between the two. At, at one stage, there, there were... You know, there were tanks on the border and what happened was the Qatari emir, um, you know, he phoned up Turkey and Turkey flew, flew across gunships and it was all getting, you know, very, very uh, aggressive between the two parties. There's clearly a major dislike and therefore the Qatari people are trying to persuade uh, the, the uh, Premier League to not approve 
uh, the Saudi takeover, um, as is the same with Amnesty International. They've written a fairly long piece with regards to um, the, the, the issues they have with Saudi Arabia. But if you're going to do that from a Premier League standpoint, we've got Russian ownership, we've got Chinese ownership, yeah, yeah. we've got American ownership, you know, we've got we've got UAE ownership, yeah. um, and you 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 descend into to legal disputes and what aboutery? Yeah, I, it would be nice in an ideal world if the if the Premier League were to extend the fit and proper person test beyond finances, but that's not going to happen. Um, I'm not going to mention Richard Keyes because I would imagine he can afford better lawyers than I can. So that's a, a discussion for off-air. Uh, and all I will say is to any Saudi investors listening to this, if you are about to invest money in Newcastle United, if it is a bit like getting a mortgage, uh, go for the highest survey possible. Splash out on the proper survey. Don't do what I did and go for the mid-range one. Because <laughs> I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at some of the problems caused by that now. Um, I imagine the Saudis can afford the proper top-of-the-range survey, can't they, Kieran? Um, uh, I suspect so. Uh, now, I... I as a Palace fan, even or I should say, even as a Palace fan, especially the way things are at the moment with football, I, I my heart does go out to Charlton fans. I've got quite a few friends who are Charlton fans. It, it doesn't stop me teasing them in public, but I, it, it just when it looked like they had, as we've said before, jumped out of the frying pan. They're, they're in the proverbial fire, and it's not. Charlton fans are now asking. Charlton fans in the past, we may say, remember they started their own political party to get them back to the valley. Charlton fans have a history of campaigning and a history of organising themselves very well. So this will be done properly. This won't be an ad hoc couple of emails. Charlton fans are asking for reassurance from East Street Investment because the EFL have now launched an investigation into the January takeover. And it seems, for what you've told me, Kieran, it takes quite a lot for the EFL to launch an investigation in the first place. So that's not a good sign, is it? Well, yeah, it, it looks as if some form of charges have been made by the EFL. Um, when a new owner acquires a club, that there are two elements to the fit and proper tests. Um, the, the first of which is that you, we, you, haven't, you mustn't be a criminal. Uh, you must have no um, unspent convictions, I think is the appropriate phrase. Not outstanding, as I said uh, incorrectly once. Um, unspent. I'd rather have outstanding than unspent, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yes, With some of the stories you told me about Russia and Amsterdam, unspent, just I, it just not, doesn't count <laughs> for me. Well, anyway, whatever the legal reason is, we... Yeah. So, so you know, that that is actually a relatively low hurdle for people to pass. Um, and then you must have proof of funds. And effectively, what you've got to do is you've got to be able to show the EFL, not only can you uh, present a budget, but you've actually got the the financial backing to support that budget uh, in terms of the expected losses and costs in relation to the the club for the short to medium term. So we're talking about a couple of years as a rule. Um, In in respect of uh, Charlton, uh, and, and the fear of Charlton fans is that they could be Berry Mark too. And, mm. and some of the parallels are a concern. You had an owner who wasn't particularly popular, but was covering the losses of the club. He was anxious to sell. He then sold the club for a pound. So it looks as mm. if uh, you know, the, the news which has come out that, that the, the uh, East Street investments only paid a pound to uh, Roland de Chachelet. I suspect his outstanding loans were just kept as that and, and they've, yeah. therefore they'd be paying a low rate of interest on those. And um, so they've effectively paid a pound for the name of the club. 
And since then, things things have deteriorated. Uh, it looks as if the EFL are unhappy with uh, the, the new owners and their inability to provide proof of funds. And there have been a lot of accusations levelled at uh, at both at all of the parties c- connected to the new organisation. Well, you, you've actually answered my question because I, I I was assuming that the fit and proper person test must have been done already because these people have been in charge of the club. So this is the EFL asking why they haven't yet provided the evidence for them to be considered fit and proper people. That's correct. And, and, oh, and again, right, okay. if, if, if we look at the parallels with Berry, um, what we saw was uh, Steve, Steve Dale um, just kept on prevaricating and coming up with excuses. And, you know, his public pronouncements became increasingly bizarre um, it, it, as to the reasons why he wouldn't give any information to, to the EFL. Um, the, the, the concerns of Charlton fans is that the new owner is going down that route and, and therefore they, they fear a similar outcome. So this is what I, I generally don't understand this, Kieran, and, and you have met a lot more football owners than I have. Of course you have. I can understand why people would want to, to buy a football club. I imagine it must be great to be able to say, yeah, I own Charlton Athletic Football Club. But, but if, you, if you can't financially do it, if you can't physically do it, why do you even start the process knowing that you're unable to prove to the to the football league authorities that that you can do it and that inevitably some weeks some months down the line you'll be quizzed an investor i don't i don't get surely most businessmen will, will again if you want to use the house analogy you don't ask for a mortgage on a house that's yeah i wouldn't ask for a mortgage on a 4 million pound house because i know that it wouldn't get beyond the first so i don't understand why these people do it well, they do it. I mean, I'm not making any accusations here, but if if, if you manage to get inside that house um, and and then you take out the fridge and the television and all the and all the fittings and, and then disappear, then then you might have benefited financially yourself. If we take a look at what happened with Berry within 24 hours of acquiring the football club, Steve Dale had set up Berry FC Heritage and Berry FC this that and the other, and he started transferring assets from the football club itself to these other companies. So there is an opportunity, and I'm not saying this has happened at Charlton, we've got no idea, there is an opportunity for somebody with ulterior motives to to acquire a business and and then to do some asset movements. Um, And if you take a look at uh, Lawrence Bassini, who has been... Uh, was the guy who was in charge at Watford and was then banned from football. Um, you know, this guy has been associated with three or four clubs since then, and each one, claim, his, his claims have been more and more fantastical. But, yeah, Steve Dale was like a magician. I mean, Steve Dale was like David Cobb. He told us he was going to do it and then did it, basically under our noses. These guys at Charlton, I mean, they, they spoke, I mean, they seemed like people who genuinely wanted to save the club. This is, again, what I don't... I don't understand. It's, I just, I just feel so sorry for Charlton. Family. It just, it just yet again, it's another example of how we are the victims of these chances, essentially. Um, yes, I mean, you know, let's hope that there is a satisfactory resolution. Uh, I, I've been in contact with some Charlton fans this week, and I, and I can't say anything on the pod, but you know, they are looking sure. at all eventualities as to as to where they stand in terms of the next step for Charlton. Um, you know, they're good people, and it doesn't matter who you support. You know, the fans yeah. are the good people at all clubs. Most owners are good people as well. Yeah, there's yeah. there's bad people in all industries, and and there's chances and rogues and so on. Well, next time you see the Charlton fans, tell them when we're through this. If they need a, some sort of benefit, comedy benefit, we'll sort something out 
they need to raise money. So, um, and even I don't think even Charlton fans who don't like me would object to me saying from Charlton to Barcelona is a leap of some some considerable imagination. You know, don't don't get upset, Charlton fans. Barcelona are a bigger club than you. Let's let's you know. Until this week, I might have said they're a bigger club than Palace, but as we'll discover soon, clearly they're not. So let's let's yeah. You know, when it turns out that Barcelona owe us everything, but Barcelona are doing something they would said they would never do, and I think till a season ago, you would imagine they would certainly never do. Or mind you, they said that about shirt sponsorship, but they're selling the naming rights to to the new camp, but for the best of reasons. That's right. Um, they, they've been in contact with the Barcelona, found, Barcelona Foundation. And there is a bit of a civil war taking place in the boardroom. At present, six, uh, six board members have resigned. So I think Barcelona are trying to uh, improve their, their public perception uh, with the fan base, which is very important for, uh, for a, a Basque club as it is. Um, and what they've therefore said is that the the new camp will be known as either the you know, the Nike new camp or the uh, you know the the FM Barcelona or yeah you know, whatever it's going to be. But it's estimated that they they could get around about twenty to thirty million euros for the naming rights for a single season. And uh, you know, again, in terms of what they did in terms of moving to shirt sponsorship initially, that money was given to a charitable cause, mm. and um, all the money from the uh, the naming rights of the new camp will go to um, a coronavirus, either either to the the people trying to do, to, to create the vaccines or to to local hospices or things of that nature. And, and I think again, it's it's a sign that, that some football clubs are aware that they are not PLCs. They are yeah. not money-making vehicles. They are representative of the people. Yeah, they're responsible. It was UNICEF, wasn't it, for the first couple of seasons on the show? So this this is just for one season. Now, I'm, I, I'm guessing there are very few companies in this day and age who will be able to afford to bid. I mean, we're, we're talking about major, major players here. But I'm also guessing... Cynically, and again, that's something I've learned from you. Unfortunately, a little bit of cynicism. Is that this is a—it's a great opportunity for a big company, uh, a, a worldwide brand, to maybe pay a little bit over the over the odds and and to get some very good PR because it will look good from their point of view if they go look in the circumstances. We'll pay a little bit more, and it's probably worth just for a season. And then, you know, we hope you'll buy our cameras when, when we come out of this. So it is just for a season. That, that's correct, yes. And, and right. I agree with you entirely. It's a win-win deal from the, from the sponsor's point of view. First of all, it becomes, you know, the Megaphone or the Vodafone or, yep. you know, it becomes New Camp. And, and that is such an iconic name. Um, and secondly, what they're effectively doing is that they're giving money to charity as a result yep. of it. So they're going to get some rep- reputational benefits on, on top of the sponsorship benefits. And now we've got, and again, Berry fans will forgive me. This is this is a big leap again, isn't it? Uh, we've got an update on Berry, and it's not particularly encouraging, is it? Unfortunately, well, it's it's a bit of a weird one. Uh, I mean, we we've we've discussed at length the Berry situation, and one of the issues was that the club. Um, did have a, a mortgage over the ground, and that was a, with a company called um, Capital Finance Bridging Solutions Limited, um, and and that was a very strange mortgage. It was it was supposed to be two and a half million pounds, but Berry only ever received one point six million. Somebody appeared to get a very big introduction fee, and then the interest rate was ten percent a month. So by the time the club did go uh, down the swanee uh, in in terms of Steve Dale taking over the the loan was then at 3.7 million 
Um, now, that company went into administration last week, which means that somebody presumably is going to buy the debt owed by Berry to Capital Bridge Finance Solutions from the administrator. If that person is Steve Dale, I'm scared. Right. If it's somebody else with good intentions, they might be able to buy that debt at a discount. And you know, it could be that, therefore, we could make progress in, in terms of Berry uh, okay. returning to Gig Lane. At present, nobody knows what, what the score is. Um, so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm normally upset when companies go bust. In, in the terms of Capital Bridge Financing Solutions, I've, I've got very little sympathy for, a, for an organisation that, that was involved in the way that it was. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. So it could be bad news. It could be good news. Um, but it, it's just showing that, that you know, the wheels are still turning in, in respect of Gig Lane. Uh, and I think, well, that's, and let's hope it is encouraging news, as you say. But, and I think just to uh, avoid Guy, our producer, having conniptions or palpitations, if you prefer, so let's make this plain that, that, that this loan, this, so this company owned the mortgage on Berry before Steve Dale took over. So there's no implication that they were part of his takeover process. No, no, this, this, was, this was a loan that was organised by right. uh, Stuart Day, who was the prior owner, who then sold Berry Football Club to Steve Dale for a pound. Yeah, you, you almost, it sounded to me like you were about to say who was the prick who sold Berry for a pound, and you stopped yourself, but I'm happy to go with the first, I think, legally, I'm fine with that. Now, let's, um, let's get on to the big story of the week. Let's, I mean, we've talked about a lot of small clubs, a lot of Johnny-come-lately clubs formed only in the last hundred years, but the Crystal Palace FC have presented... Um, now, I, I have to say, I knew about this quite some time ago because um, I was told by Steve Parrish himself, but he also asked me to keep it quiet, which I said oh, would be impossible. Uh, but he's, he's, and he, this is a quote. He said, I know you want to be a big man amongst your mates, but if you could just keep this under your hat, that would be great. I said, this Twitter account, no. Just keep it under your hat. I, I dropped all sorts of hints in the pub. I promise I didn't tell people, but... Um, the club have presented compelling evidence that we possibly are the oldest football club in the league. We all knew there was a Crystal Palace football club founded in 1861. The assumption then was that when they stopped playing football in 1874, um, it was to do with the, the FA wanting to use Crystal Palace for, for other things. Not the FA Cup final came nine years later, but cricket and match. So it was, it was assumed that the, the original club was wound up, but they've now found uh, very compelling evidence that the original club uh, stayed in existence and, and indeed some of the documents from the founding of the club in 1905 referred to this being an, uh, uh, not a new club. So, But whatever the... Uh, also, yeah, I love... It turns out that the founder and captain of that first team in 1861 was called Frank Day. Oh! Now, I have put... My, my Aunt Pat is the family historian. So Aunt Pat got a very quick phone call to say, look, get, get yourself... We need to get back another 30 years, get it back to 1861. And if we have a Frank Day who worked in a brewery in Bermondsey, because uh, listen, if it turned out that, I, that Crystal Palace FC was not only founded by my relative, but he also part owned a brewery, then <laughs> I, I know what the, what, the, what the title of my second book is going to be. But my, my, what I'd like to, the question is, and I do have a serious question, if, if um, the FA need to ratify it to really not exploit, but to, but, what sort of money-making potential is there? I mean, for we've discovered that the club has discovered what the original team's kit were, and it was it was a light blue and white half. Um, as I'm a historian of football kits, it's actually uh, Eton blue 
or Cambridge blue is the colour. It was a light blue. A lot of football clubs were indeed working class, but the people who invested in them either went to Oxford and Cambridge or had children who went to Oxford and Cambridge. So I'm guessing that um, Eton blue and white halves is going to be our third kit next season. Um, and I'm guessing the club will... You know, why go through this effort to, to become the oldest team in the, in the league without getting any money out of it? And God forbid it's anything to do with the fact that we're, we're building a new stand and we need 7,000 more fans. Nothing, just that's a coincidence of timing. I believe we are the oldest club. In, but is, is there money in this? Is there money in this new discovery for us? Uh I think there is some money potentially in it. I think a lot will depend on how it is marketed, how it is presented to fans. If you take a look at Leeds United um, uh, last season, that was their centenary year. And what they did on the back of that was that they they did have a centenary kit. They had this, that and the other. They had lots of events taking place um, during the course of the year to celebrate that event. Now, if Palace are proven to be the oldest club in football history, um, then they could have a, a year of celebration of that event. And on the back of that, they could, you know, generate extra money from um from merchandise you, you certainly a special kit um you could have you know other other tat you know that's not a criticism of palace you go into any club shop and it's mm. it's full of tat uh how much money did not county make from being the oldest football club in the world you know it, it's it's questionable so I, I think if they the club is smart uh, and and they they go down the right route then yes there will be some additional money is it going to build you a new stand? No, it's not. Yeah, well, I should point out as well, we, we won't be the oldest club in the world because Sheffield FC are officially the oldest club in the world, still playing. They were founded in 1857. We would be the oldest club in the league and we'd be the oldest club that was at the first meeting of the FA. Um, and we'd be the only club in existence that played in the first round of the first FA Cup. And of course, lost. But there you are. But what this will prove, if, if we are the oldest club in the league, it will just prove yet another reason why we're more classy than Brighton. Um, uh, other other opinions are available. Yeah, uh, wrong ones. Um, so, in fact, we do have uh, our question special coming out on um, Monday. Uh, as with last week, some of the questions already are very good, very intricate and very involved. And actually, I think people enjoyed being able to have a little bit more space to explore some of the questions last week. So do keep them coming. Um, if you want to ask us questions for Monday's podcast, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And we have been Adaptive Production. See you soon. Take care. Thank you very much. The Price of Football. Take care, folks. I'm for the